The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning, everybody, and welcome. It's so lovely to have you with us here today. Alan Biggs is playing marimba, and we're thrilled to have him here with his connection to this community and his gifts. It's lovely to have you here. Lovely to have all of you here. I know our live stream guests' numbers have increased, which I imagine is partly because a lot of your ministers are on vacation. Good for them, and we love having you with us for the summer months. Uh, I think two weeks ago, 9% of our people were from India, so namaste. Welcome to have all of you with us, too. It's lovely also to be here together on this Pride Sunday. We have our flag, our pride flag, and because we couldn't be sure that the winds would blow through and unfurl it, we have unfurled it permanently <laughs> today so that we mark um, visually, symbolically in front, our celebration of folks who throughout time and right now, because of your gender identity, your gender expression, your sexual orientation, in short, because of who we are and who we love, have felt diminished or threatened. We want you to know that here in this community, you are welcome and loved, just as you are, like that body prayer we sometimes do on Sunday where we scoop up the blessings of the day and offer ourselves as we are, knowing who we are is more than enough and beloved. And you all, all of you who are joining us this Pride Day, all of you are, especially our GLBTQAI folks especially, know that you're loved. So we are going to talk this morning about Sabbath in these days when we have lots of more quiet and time at home. Sabbath seems maybe like an unusual subject, but I think you will find it's more timely than ever. And so we open with words from Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who wrote, when all the work is brought to a standstill, the candles are lit. Just as creation began with the word, let there be light, so does the celebration of Sabbath begin with the kindling of lights and the world that becomes a place of rest. So we begin our service lighting our candle, both to mark the beginning of this service and also as we do all week to mark all of you brought into this space during this time, a marker for the time when we will all be here again together. So I invite us, as we begin worship, let's sing together. Our first hymn of the morning is Morning Has Broken. The words and the music are in your order of service. If you're joining us for the first time, you can download the order of service and follow along. So let's sing together. Morning, blackbird has spoken. 
please join in our unison chalice lighting. We light, light this chalice, chalice for the, the light, light of truth, truth the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Brief invitations today. The first one is about SCW, our Society for Community Work. Today at 1.30, SCW is celebrating some of the student recipients of its scholarship program, and you are invited to join. You'll have a chance to meet these students and hear about their remarkable accomplishments. And now that SCW and the church are officially merged, there are op opportunities for all of us to become involved with this program. You could become a mentor for a student, be part of the interview and selection process. You can also donate so more scholarships are possible. This year, 21 scholarships were given. The average family income of students we supported was $30,000. The help matters. It makes college possible. So consider getting involved starting with today's program. And a special recognition today goes to Laura Davis, who's been part of the scholarship committee for five years, chairing it for two. She's rotating off the committee and has done an amazing job of supporting this work, but also caring for our students and making sure they are personally supported in their studies as well. Thank you, Laura, so very much. Secondly, and also today, the Environmental Justice Committee and the Humanist Non-Theist Group are co-sponsoring a program on the Extinction Rebellion. This is a powerful global environmental movement working to get corporations and governments to address the climate emergency we're currently in. This program starts at one o'clock. And also a collection of reminders for things you've heard before. There's uh, opportunity to join a small group for the summer. There's a minister's book group coming up and also a poetry lunch also, there's continued morning meditations, all starting this week in early July. Yes, my announcement is to thank our internship committee. This Sunday is the last Sunday of Sharon Weld's year of internship with us. And so I want to invite up the members of her internship committee. So Luann Schulte, well, some of them, some of them will come up and some can stand. Luann is here, others are coming. Uh, we've got the chairs, Marie kazan Kamerik, Mary Jane Micaria, Richard Davis is joining us remotely, and you'll see a symbolic presence of his. John Maliska is also joining us remotely. They have done the work this year of stewarding Sharon's year, following along monthly, being a sounding board and a cheering squad and pulling together feedback and opportunities and showing up at things that she's led, even remotely. And just briefly, I want to say that it has been a fantastic year that we've had with Sharon. She was a surprise. We hadn't planned on an intern, but sometimes when something good shows up, you just leap at her. Um, and this was one of those moments. And I think the committee has a few things to say, and I'm going to run and grab something. 
Well, I'm Mary Jane McAree, and I'm one of the co-chairs. And Marie Kazan Kamark, right here, will be talking to you in just a minute. And we, want, we are also, we have another member of our committee here, Luann Schulte, and the other two, as, as Vanessa said, were not uh, able to come. And we, we want to thank Sharon for her true blessing for this church. She's come through an unusual intern year where a lot of it has been on Zoom, and uh, this does not, you don't plan an internship that way. So there are a lot of individual parts of an internship that's required by the UUA. And she has been able to uh, do these things and we thank her for this year of such flexibility in, in going and being our intern. And as you can see, as you have seen on Sundays, how gracious she is and nurturing to this congregation. We love her and we thank her and we wish her well. And she is always grace under pressure. <laughs> but before you go, Sharon, we would like to give you a gift or two. First, this stole. <laughs> Keep your distance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep trying. <laughs> um, to wear at ordination. Please, please open it. Oh, my it is in the design of the tree of life. An ancient metaphor and symbol representing personal development uniqueness, and individual beauty. As branches of a tree strengthen and grow upwards, we too grow stronger, striving for greater knowledge, wisdom, and the experience as we move through life. Mm -hmm. Second, mm -hmm. a chalice, <laughs> symbol of our faith. This chalice was made by our newest committee member and amazing woodworker, Richard Davis. This chalice is made from the burl of a tree. Burls are growths usually found at the base of a tree where the grain has grown in somewhat of a deformed manner caused by some kind of distress such as an injury or virus, yet it becomes the strongest part of the tree. Among woodworkers, this part is considered the most beautiful. Again, a metaphor for life, living, hurting, healing, and even ministering. A reminder that our strength comes from so many places, not least of which are hurt, our losses, and our struggles. So as a reminder of our, of our love and faith in you, and our gratitude of your time with us as an intern, we give you these gifts. In a different time, we would hug you. <laughs> we would rise and we would cheer. Instead, we stand six feet apart from you as we recognize the holy in us, greeting the holy we mm. see and love mm. in you. May you have a blessed last year of your seminary work. We look forward to the day you return to see us again. Mm. Thank you, Sharon. Hug. <laughs>
I'm hijacking the mic to just say I'm I'm often speechless anyway, but I'm really speechless now. <laughs> so thank you. I can imagine two more lovely things and uh, have that faith in me is wonderful. So thank you so very much. Yeah, special thanks to Sharon for stepping in and guiding our pastoral care ministry from her long career and successful career as a therapist, bringing that into the pastoral work this year has been an amazing gift, and you stepped into it so generously in a year when we really needed it, and so that's just one piece that we're particularly grateful for among so many. So let's do our meditation on breathing, and this is where, if you're joining us for the first time, we do a, a kind of meditative song. The words are in the order of service. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. And today, let's breathe in peace and breathe out love with Sharon as our um, intention as we do so. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out. Now please join in our spoken covenant and sung doxology. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom and to help one another. time in our service for our weekly ritual of remembrance and commitment. 
and a time for prayer and meditation. Recognizing there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes, we ring our gong this morning in honor of three such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong first as we have since last July in honor of the seven children who lost their lives in federal custody in our detention camps. And we let its ringing symbolically stand for the adults who have also lost their lives in these camps, those who remain in them, many separated still from their families, and many others now infected by COVID-19 or at great risk of infection. We ring our gong additionally once for the losses to the virus we now know by name. While the numbers went down around the world as a whole last week, they went up in our own nation. This week, 34,548 people lost their lives globally to COVID-19 and 5,826 people in the United States. We hold in our hearts all who continue to risk their lives to provide essential services, suffer for job loss, and whose lives are especially vulnerable to the virus. Finally, we ring our gong once as a reminder of the ongoing work of emancipation for people who are black, brown, and indigenous in these United States work that is still ours to do. May we keep those we have named in our thoughts and in our prayers. And may we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can.
James Weldon Johnson was born in 1871, the first black man admitted to the Florida bar, songwriter in New York, former executive secretary of the NAACP, and a professor of creative literature at Fisk University, a poet. Many of you know he wrote the lyrics to Lift Every Voice and Sing, the Black National Anthem. And he also wrote this collection of poems called God's Trombones, based on sermons he'd heard as a young boy in church. It's from this collection that we read this morning's poem, The Creation, by James Weldon Johnson. And God stepped out on space and he looked around and said, I'm lonely. I'll make me a world. And as far as the eye of God could see, darkness covered everything blacker than a hundred midnights down in a cypress swamp. And God smiled. And the light broke and the darkness rolled up onto one side and the light stood shining on the other and God said, that's good. Then God reached out and took the light in his hands and God rolled the light around in his hands until he made the sun. And he set that sun ablazing in the heavens and the light that was left from making the sun God gathered that up in a shining ball and flung it against the darkness, spangling the night with the moon and the stars. Then down between the darkness and the light, he hurled the world and God said, that's good. Then God himself stepped down and the sun was in his right hand and the moon was in his left and the stars were clustered about his head and the earth was under his feet. And God walked and where he trod, his footsteps hollowed the valleys out and bulged the mountains up. And then he stopped and looked and saw that the earth was hot and barren. So God stepped over the edge of the world and spat out the seven seas. He batted his eyes and the lightning flashed. He clapped his hands and the thunder rolled and the waters came down. The cooling waters came down. Then the green grass sprouted and the little red flowers blossomed. The pine tree pointed his fingers to the sky and the oaks spread out his arms. The lakes cuddled down in the hollows of the ground and the rivers ran down to the sea. And God smiled again and a rainbow appeared and curled itself around his shoulder. 
Then God raised his arm and he waved his hand over the sea and over the land and he said, bring forth, bring forth. And quicker than God could drop his hand, fishes and fowls, beasts and birds swam the rivers and the seas, roamed the forests and the woods and split the air with their wings. And God said, that's good. Then God walked around and God looked around at all that he had made. He looked at his sun and he looked at his moon and he looked at his little stars. He looked on his world with all its living things and God said, I'm lonely still. Then God sat down on the side of a hill where he could think. By a deep, wide river, he sat down with his head in his hands. God thought and thought until he thought, I'll make me a man. Up from the bed of the river, God scooped the clay. And by the bank of the river, he kneeled him down. And there, the great God Almighty, who lit the sun and fixed it in the sky, who flung the stars to the most far corner of the night, who rounded the earth in the middle of his hand, this great God, like a mammy bending over her baby, kneeled down in the dust, toiling over a lump of clay, till he shaped it in his own image. Then into it, he blew the breath of life and man became a living soul. Amen. Amen. And now our offering for the works and ministries of this congregation will be both given and gratefully received.
our second reading today is a poem by Mary Oliver called Morning in a New Land. In trees still dripping night, some nameless birds woke, shook out their arrowy wings and sang slowly, like finches sifting through a dream. The pink sun fell like glass into the fields. Two chestnuts and a dapple gray, their shoulders wet with light, their dark hair streaming, climbed the hill. The last mist fell away, and under the trees, beyond time's brittle drift, I stood like Adam in his lonely garden on that first morning, shaken out of sleep, rubbing his eyes, listening, parting the leaves like tissue on some vast, incredible gift. The prayer wanted to be here this morning. So I invite us into a time of meditation and reflection. In the headlong tumble of our days, we pause at the threshold of one week into the next, we lay aside tasks undone, phone calls unmade, broken things and overdue bills, garden beds that need weeding, and distant lands and places in our own that need healing and feeding and hope. And we cross into the Cathedral of Time, We enter this day a place of moral imagination, of heightened awareness to the beauty and perfection of the now, the extraordinary enoughness of this and the here. We focus on the people in front of us and realize how little we sometimes see them in the way routine distracts us from really seeing one another sometimes. Enter Sabbath. And the world was made and it was good. Good enough. Today we look for and delight in the good, that which we already have and know. We radiate in its presence. E.B. White once said, every morning I awake, torn between the desire to save the world and to savor it. This makes it hard to plan the day. But if we forget to savor the world, he said, what possible reason do we have for saving it? In a way, the savoring must come first. Spirit of life and love. 
Help us to savor life. At least one day a week. And not because we are callous to the pain and brokenness and danger in this world. Or our responsibility to heal it and save it and struggle for the dream. but because of how delight and rest feeds the striving spirit. So help us to trust in a day of consecrating for the saving and the savoring of all. Amen. the story of creation is as told in the book of Genesis in the Hebrew scriptures. You, you can just imagine it. The God who sweeps her hand and light appears, who nods his head and planets spin in the skies, and suns begin to burn and heat and light up moons. The creative power snaps its fingers and birds crack their wings one day. Whales and minnows swim in the newly created seas and fill the rivers and lakes that were never fresher than in this moment. Humankind is rolled from the earth. 
My favorite depiction of all of this, of course, is in the James Weldon Johnson poem, The Creation, that we read up from the bed of the river, God scooped the clay, and by the bank of the river, he kneeled him down. There, the great God Almighty, who lit the sun and fixed it in the sky, who flung the stars to the farmost corner of the night, who rounded the earth in the middle of his hand. This great God, like a mammy bending over her baby, kneeled down in the dust, toiling over a lump of clay till he'd shaped it in his own image and then blew into it the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Amen. Amen. And there, Adam and Eve must have stood. We can also, also imagine, like Mary Oliver describes, one of them rubbing his eyes after that first night of sleep and parting the leaves on some full and resplendent tree like tissue on some vast, incredible gift. All good, God says of creation. Each step good, a gift indeed. Though, according to the story, it would be broken from its perfect state, and those who came after would be left to bind it back up and find our way back to the paradise we are told once existed. But for a moment, for a moment at the story's beginning, we are at this place of creation, all fresh. And we're told at the end of this story, we're told that this God does one last thing. It's the capstone to this whirlwind of divinely generative work, and it's not quite what we might suppose. Rabbi and theologian Abraham Joshua Heschel writes, the mythical mind would expect that after heaven and earth have been established, God would create a holy place, a holy mountain or a, a holy spring whereupon a sanctuary could be established. And yet it seems as if to the Bible, it is holiness in time, the Sabbath, which comes first. Heschel points out that God's last creative act, at least in this first wave of creation, is to consecrate a day. And it is said God calls it holy, kadosh, the first thing, the, the first reality, the only part of creation, as good as it all is, that is called holy, is a day. Reverend Forrester Church used to say that eternity wasn't length of time, but depth in time. And I'm not always sure I understand exactly what he meant, but I think I get the idea that time, it isn't just a measure of a length, but it has these qualities to it. It has depth. 
As Genesis points out, it has holiness too. Not all time, but some time. And whether it is that way in and of itself or we make it so by consecrating the way we are present to it, I do not begin to know, but that time can be holy, that I do know. The idea of Sabbath asks us to partner with that truth. I think Sabbath gets a bad rap in our contemporary conventional use. Even using the word conjures up images of finger-wagging ministers and days without alcohol or, or fun, for that matter. Sabbath in that vein, it's all about starched, scratchy clothes, boring, long sermons, tight shoes, having to be on your best behavior. But the notion in Judaism, at least, is so much richer and frankly so much more gorgeously and seductively appealing than that. At least it is to me, and I, I hope you'll agree. Imagine this, a perfect day. Think of your own. For me, that would be the day right in the middle of an extra long weekend or a week of summer vacation with family or friends, a day when nobody has a lot of energy to do anything ambitious, but abandons themselves to just being and to the good things in life, by which I don't mean tiaras and caviar. <laughs> Can you remember such a day, right? I'm sure you have them. It's that day when the cooking is all done and there are plenty of leftovers in the kitchen so, so nobody has to cook. And plenty of days to do chores because you have the whole weekend and the rest of vacation so you all can relax guilt-free. It's a day when you're just hanging out with people that you love, playing football in the backyard or sitting around the table in your jeans and joking for hours. It's a meandering day. Maybe there's a little time for Scrabble or a puzzle. Some folks nap and others find a quiet place to read. And maybe at some point everybody curls up around the TV for a movie or to watch a game. Some are on the couch and some are on the floor reclining on pillows brought from other rooms. People are laughing and poking fun of each other and there is this grace around the table at night. And people, the people who are no longer there, they're also somehow right there in between you all. And if you were God, you might stand up in the presence of all of it and say, and that's good. Do you know that kind of day? Well, that's what Sabbath, this holy day, is supposed to be like, in a way. Sabbath is actually the holiest of Jewish holy days. There are 52 of them in a year, after all. No other celebration gets as much airtime as that. 
And what is at the core of this day? What is it about? Piety? Boredom? No. Sabbath is about delight. A delight that makes everything important possible. A delight that is key to our spiritual and emotional survival. Rabbi Irving Greenberg, author of The Jewish Way, writes, the promise that universal peace can be reached and the earth turned into a paradise is astounding. The demand to overcome sickness and poverty is revolutionary and wild in Judaism that it is believed that all this will be achieved through humanity, not in spite of us. That's what we Unitarian Universalists, by the way, also believe. That we human beings are the hands and fingers, the legs and eyes, the mouth of whatever is divine. We are flawed, for sure. Any longtime members of the human race will attest to that, but we are capable of overcoming our flaws in just the right moments sometimes, in just the right ways, and do tremendous good despite our limits. So the theater of salvation is not in some imagined heaven and hell, but it's right here, it's right now, it's every day, it's every hour we live and choose and shape our future by our actions in this present moment. But that is tiring business, as we know, and the world can get under our skin and compromise our resolve like, well, like a, a boat sometimes that has lost its guiding star in a cloudy sky too. We can start to veer off course slightly, almost imperceptibly sometimes, but day by day that one degree can send us off in a completely different direction, forging a future we actually didn't want to be a part of. How do we ground ourselves then to protect against all these pitfalls of the life of the Spirit? Well, one such way is Sabbath. Sabbath was supposed to be the structure we build into our lives for just these reasons. No one should try to save the world, writes Rabbi Greenberg, without having an inner life. Tradition had to develop an individual's love of life. Sabbath is about that. A structure in time, a consecration of time, a cathedral, not on a hill to mark the seventh day, but in the recurring hours of our week, all for making sure that we nurtured an inner life and a love of life. Who doesn't want that? How, you might ask, how? 
Are we supposed to do that to avoid all those pitfalls of despair and dangerous misdirection of life? What helps us avoid all that? Well, a bunch of things were supposed to be part of Sabbath. This, for sure. Worshiping, singing, praying, ideally getting together with community in person, but at least staying connected to people whose, whose ideals, whose visions we shared, who helped hold one another accountable and helped hold the whole of life and wrestle to make sense of it together week in and week out. So this, for sure, but also study and reading time and time for thought and reflection was part of Sabbath. Eating, but not cooking, so that no one was stuck in the kitchen while the rest relaxed, food was made in advance. No dishes were supposed to be done that day, no vacuuming, no shopping, sex. Making love to your partner was considered a mitzvah, a blessing on Shabbat. So is sleeping, by the way. And now, how perfect that those two go together, right? I mean, how much more likely are you to be in the mood when you get a nap and when there are no chores or dishes to do? I mean, do you see the genius of this? And what happens if we do all of this, if we surrender to the harsh discipline of Sabbath? Rabbi Greenberg says that when we do, quote, the ability to reflect is set free. Creative thoughts long forgotten come to mind. One's patience with life increases. The individual's capacity to cope is renewed. But there's one other aspect of the intention and framing to Shabbat that I don't want to lose because I love it so much. Sabbath is more than just all these lovely, restorative, joy-filled practices. It's even more than that. Shabbat is supposed to be a taste of the fulfillment of a dream. Think about this. Once a week, we are to set aside all that is undone, all that is imperfect, all that is heartbreaking and painfully eluding of our efforts. One day, we are supposed to act as if to pretend, to pretend the world is perfect. More so even, we are to dig beneath the ugliness and imperfection of the world and hold up the quiet, the wisdom that breathes through books and in still moments, the sheer joy of food shared and being with loved ones of body honored and celebrated and mind and spirit allowed to roam we are supposed to see the blue skies always there, but that sometimes get clouded over. See that perfection is here already, even amidst all the pain. Why? Why do that?
because doing so gives us a taste of what we're working to make real for everyone all the time. The hope is that having lived into this reality one day a week, having tasted of it, we'll go back committed to lean even harder into the stubborn places in the world, determined, if you will, to unearth the good, the holy in this world, abundant life made possible for all. What a radical act it is to keep the Sabbath then, to ignore the pressures to stay busy and dissatisfied. What a radical act to commit one day to delighting in the world, acting as if it's perfect and enjoying all of the things that make it so already, and calling it a religious commitment. A decade ago, after running myself completely down, I recommitted to trying to honor one day in a kind of Sabbath. I don't do it perfectly. I need to be reminded of what it means, so I'm preaching to myself this morning, too. I sometimes do a little school shopping on those days. I sometimes fold a little laundry. I scramble some eggs. I maybe bake some cookies. But I choose these things differently on that day. And I prioritize rest, and I prioritize study, and I protect time with my loved ones, and I focus on joy, and I hold that day very differently. And it sustains me when I remember to do so. And it infects how I am the rest of the week. So I invite you, if you don't already do so, to consider one day carved out along these lines. One day, one day a week to rise and part the leaves like tissue on some vast, incredible gift. One day not to miss delight for distraction. For theologians and poets alike tell us we were made for two purposes, my friends, to savor life and to save this life. We were made for both. And one day, so the story goes, was created holy. And just to remind us not to forget the savoring part, delighting we are told, may just make all the rest possible. Shabbat Shalom, my friends. Shabbat Shalom.
And now in our comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us out from within us. Be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.
The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.